Good morning and welcome to the Inclusive Voice. I'm your host, Pam McElvey. Oh my goodness, can you guys believe how wonderful this weather is in November? I am amazed and I'm actually very happy about it. So this morning we were going to, you know, I talked to you guys, I guess a couple weeks ago that we were introducing diversity moments. And what this is, this gives us an opportunity to talk about within the last 30 days, all of the richness, the cultural richness that has happened during um, a particular time. So we're, we're talking about October leading into November, you know, what's happening culturally and what can we celebrate? When you think about just yesterday or, or Monday, um, Halloween trick or treating, and just you know pumpkin and spice and all the little children that are out, you know, particularly after the the the, the pandemic, being able to be free and celebrate and be happy. I never thought I'd be talking about Halloween as a diversity, equity, inclusion, or DEI time. But the month of October and November includes a lot of celebrations and acknowledgement about what people were doing in the communities. I mean, Persons with Disability Awareness Month was October. Indigenous populations, you know, with, with uh, President Biden making this available, uh, with Columbus Day and um, Thanksgiving coming up. And Hispanic communities celebrate, you know, from September through uh, mid-November, you know, Hispanic heritage. And when you want to talk about, oh my goodness, heritage of, of our Latin community, not just in the United States, but in the world, is so rich and so much. And then, believe it or not, not just June, Pride Month is the time that our LGBTQ brother and sister celebrate um, their uh, identity, but they actually have a coming out month, and, and that is in the month of November, coming out with their boldness and who they are, celebrating their own authenticity. So we thought, you know, diversity moments was a time for us that we could educate our audience and remind them of, you know, the diversity within our lives and the simplicity and what it just takes to acknowledge and support others and families and communities and workplace and in our social networks. Because if you think about it, the reality is that um, you actually probably know someone in every sphere. And, and within every culture. And the one thing that's important, it's always important to us because when people think about, oh my goodness, you know, here's the, you know, the white American population and, you know, we're the ones that aren't being appreciated for our differences. Well, of, of course you are. There's 64 dimensions of diversity and we do celebrate, you know, European heritage because that is where, you know, most white Americans immigrated from and then those just like any other immigrated group immigration group were then having children that were born here in the United States and that's what we want to do and organizations talk about allyship and the importance of the predominant groups in the workforce to celebrate and help others advance white Americans are the dominant group 62% of our workforce are white Americans but based on the 2020 U.S. Census, the actual non-Hispanic um, race, actually, which is pretty much the white race, actually reduced by 8%. And so the population literally saw 9.7% or 33 million people check the multiracial two plus race boxes. So the census is finally catching up with the diversity of not just generations, but ethnicity in the population. And the Hispanic population grew by 23%. So our overall uh, population for people of color grew by 4.3%. So if you just look at that, look at what's happening in the space of diversity and inclusion and being able to celebrate and recognize and acknowledge differences. We're here, guys. <laughs> it's We're in it and been in it for a long time. And so what we're about here on the Inclusive Voice is celebrating it all, sharing stories, letting folks, you know, appreciate, you know, not just who you are, but who they are and be okay with healthy conflict and having he healthy conversations around 
differences in what we could do about that and learning more about each other. So we're going to take a few moments and take a break here. We'll re I'll be right back with you to really go more in talking about uh, the different diversity moments, about disability awareness. But let's, um, you know, think about how you're different and what you bring to the diversity table. I'll be right back with you. The tech talent war in the U.S. is making it almost impossible for companies to hire and is holding companies back from achieving their important business goals. What is the answer? Go global with Bold Business. We have the reach, experience, and proven methods to help your company access great talent. From recruiting and sourcing to onboarding and post-hiring operations, Bold Business can help businesses tap into a worldwide talent pool and can craft solutions for an enterprise of any size. Go Bold! And let Bold Business solve your talent challenges and help your company succeed. For more info visit www.boldbusiness.com Welcome back. Thank you. Look at guys, the sun is shining. Go grab your coffee. I'm Pam McElvain, your host of the Inclusive Voice, here with you talking about diversity moments today. I don't have any guests. It's just me increasing awareness. And I invite you all to go to the website, diversitymagazine.com, and put your comments up and call in at 773-631. 3806 with any comments. But um, as I stated before, you know, we're really wanting to uplift what's happening in October, what happened in October and what's happening in November. So just to, you know, think about how the pandemic has impacted communities around the world. And there's so much focus and shift on healthcare workers and, and vaccinating our populations. Many are really and have been trying to return to work and to normalize the process as much as we could. But with October really starting off with Disability Awareness Month, I just want to spotlight, you know, kind of the impact of the global health crisis that our disabled communities and workforce have had to address. And so when you think about the largest group in our population, one billion persons, our people have a disability, one in four in the workplace has a disability. So when you think about people in your family, oh my goodness, probably everyone, not not your immediate family, just maybe one removed, has a disability. And it's and disability is just not only the physical that we see, but the invisible disabilities that people, you know, cover up and don't share. And we really want to move to in the new normal, if you will, where we can uncover and feel, you know, pretty comfortable. I mean, personally, I, um, you know, I have a colleague, uh, Nadine Vogel, who's now talking about menopause as a disability for women because of a certain age, if you will, because, you know, women are still in the workplace, you know, over age 50, and some women are experiencing menopause in 40. So they need privacy and a place to go to be able, you know, to function in a highly productive way during this period. And, and that's a reality because the majority of women um, in the globe will experience menopause. So instead of making that just an, a normality, it's actually looked at as a certain level of um, a workplace uh, discomfort and what we can experience with. But the findings show that people with disabilities experience a disproportionate negative impact, not only just in terms of their you know physical health, but structural support, because the overcrowding in hospitals and the need to you know minimize you know health services and and um, care. Persons with disabilities tend to, you know, get the short end of it. And even with the pandemic, and think about people that were home um, and not able to, to get to work or because the services that were provided to help, you know, pick up people and bring them in for vaccination weren't available. And we always talk about the underrepresented populations and the populations that you know, the BIPOC communities that are not being serviced. But you know, you think about persons with disability, many of these folks, you know, were not being serviced at the way they dealt with micro inequities and microaggressions. So when you think about, you know, women of color earning less than the living wage and looking at the health benefits that 
you know they don't get and and what was happening in terms of contacting um, connecting with the virus you found that caregivers were at risk and and, and even those that were at home helping persons with disabilities um, you know we increased the um, the impact and exposure so you know so what was happening what what could companies do and what were they what was the community doing around this population the reality is not much was being done to support this population and when they were at home and if they happened to be part of an underrepresented group with the disability and hey let's not even talk about mental health it became overwhelming and, and that's a reality that we as a country need to face. And actually, not, not even just as a country, but as a nation, we really need to face you know, kind of what's happening. So when you think of just shifting over to the workforce, you know, of 19.1% 19, 19 of our billion persons with disabilities, and let's just look at how many, you know, 35% of those in the workforce, I mean, 35% of workforce age, only 19.1% are in the workforce in the United States. And then I'll tell you, on average, about 5% of persons with disability fully disclose that they have some level of impairment. And of course, legally, uh, the ADA, Affordable Disability Act, requires accommodations for those physical accommodations that you see, but it also does for the invisible um, disabilities that people are not ex disclosing because they're like, why? You know, what is that going to, what is the value for me to do that? Well, companies are really trying to create a safe space for people to fully disclose and self-identify so that they know who's in their workforce so they can help. Um, more in their workforce, but there's still many, many levels of trust um, and where folks don't really want to do that. So when you think about disability awareness, being able to be kind, showing adequate, offering help, and, and truly creating a safe space for people to feel comfortable with who they are um, and what they're doing. When we think about you know, students with disabilities, you know, where they cut off from, you know, special education services. And, you know, we're not giving, you know, what they need to preserve their educational opportunities because the system does not have enough, you know, resources or fund to support these young people. You know, that, that to me is, is daunting. I really struggle with the access to health and education services that are lost, you know, to folks that don't have the ability to gain more. So, you know, let's think about to yourself, you know, if you're listening to me this morning, you know, in your direct network, so your cousins, your, your parents, grandparents, siblings, children, how many of those, if any, that you know have a physical disability? And then how many of those do you think may potentially have an invisible disability that you don't know about? I mean, I have a brother-in-law with uh, severe epilepsy and that's an invisible disability. And people, you know, won't know that unless, you know, you share it or they experience something with them. Some folks have, you know, hard of hearing. Some folks may be wearing glasses and close to being blind in one eye, and you may not know that. Those, those are um, invisible disabilities that they don't share. And we really need folks to share. Even though people are coming to work, um, or doing community services, or even coming into your home, if, if we're making uh, comments about what's happening, uh, you know, the jokes or whatever, or what's not happening, we wanna be careful and make sure we include people. In, in a safe way. Because um, when you think about one thing I do love about President Biden is that the Biden administration is really trying to recognize each population and meet them right where they are. Um, they did understand that the shortcomings and the issues that they were having um, with the disability the impact of the disability, what they needed to do, how we can, you know, how do they show up better um, to support initiatives and have a better agenda. Because 10.6 of the U.S. population actually is aged 18 to 64 has a disability. 
amazing. So while 30% of our population age 65 um, has a disability, but the working workforce, and actually the workforce goes to 70 years. So it's amazing. But let me share this data point with you. It's generational because 63.7% people in the workforce 63.7 people are in the workforce and 19.1% are persons with disabilities. So when you think about that, you know, of our generation um, that we have, you know, 44% are millennials, 37% are Gen Xs, our younger generation. We want them coming into the workforce with a real good understanding, right? A real good um, appreciation for people with differences and how they can support persons with disabilities. And the last thing I'm going to say here is that the don't ask, don't tell rule. 60% of, and I'm always talking about the invisible disability because it's so significant that we find a way to advance and support the development, education, and lifestyle with persons with disability. So that's our diversity moment. Um, for persons with disability, the largest minority on this planet, um, and how we can be better by including them. And that's your diversity moment there. So with that, we're going to go to commercial break, and I'll be right back with you. From emails that get no response, to improper billing and shipping, to inventory mistakes, waste can be an expansive, encompassing problem. With a track record of success that includes over $7 billion in successful projects, Bold Business has been helping clients over two decades. Whether you seek to enhance the performance of current anti-waste and waste initiatives, reduce reputational damage in the face of heightened public scrutiny, or simply safeguard cost efficiency, Bold Business has the answers. Check out boldbusiness.com for more information. Hey, welcome back. And those of you that are still with me and stay tuned and talking about diversity moments. Um, I just talked about person with disability and how, you know, being authentic and creating a great space for everyone in your home, community and workplace is what we're trying to do here. Um, it's a great day. It's still early in the morning. So go grab your coffee and join me in thinking about, you know, what you can do to be inclusive. Um, so um, we're talking talking about, you know, our diversity moments that we had in um, October and coming this month here in November. And so Hispanic Heritage Month, you know, actually starts in September and 15th and ends, um, goes through October, mid-October. And so, you know, what's interesting to me is that people, you know, just group uh Hispanics together and truly, you know, Latins, you know, there's Latinx, Latins, you know, it's such a robust cultural many dimensions within this group that you can't just say, oh, you know, this is an Hispanic population and group of people that are all the same because because they're not. When you think of the Hispanic, uh, the Latin countries around the world, well, they're around the world, right? Bolivia, Peru. Cuba, um, Spain, I mean, these are around the world, in Europe and all the very many, many different places. So when you think about the, the melting pot here in the United States, so we, we have the same representation of, of that group, and, you know, not just Im immigrating um, over, but, you know, being here and coming with the richness. So we're, we're trying to celebrate so we can recognize, you know, um, you know, Cinco de Mayo is, is for Mexican Independence Day. That's, that's what that is. Very different in what we're trying to recognize here in the Latinx communities. So for those of you um, that are not aware of the term Hispanic, it refers to Spanish-speaking descent, you know, where Latin um, X refers specifically to a person of Latin American origin or descent. So Hispanic people make up 18% of the population. You talk about over 60 million and 17.8% of the workforce and growing. I'm telling you by 20 40, expect the work for, for uh, 2030, I think it is, the workforce is, the workforce is going to be one in five persons of, um, of Hispanic heritage. So, hey, if, if you don't have Spanish as a first language or a second language, you sh seriously should think about doing it. Um, so not many people really, you know, 
are sure are aware that Hispanics and Latinos are an ethnic group, not a race. And people of multiple races can fall under the umbrella of Latinx or Hispanic. In fact, many Latinx people have some portion of European, African, and indigenous American ancestry, as all of us. So when I think about myself, I personally more, you know, Indian, I don't have Hispanic heritage um, for me personally, but I do in my family. My children are a mixture of, of, of Cuban, Puerto Rican, and um, Indian and African-American and Caucasian. They truly are a mixture of the multiracial. And then my husband's Cuban, Puerto Rican, speaks Spanish. Um, I, I studio, I studied Spanish for many, many years. I, you know, Bebido lived in Guadalajara, Mexico. I, you know, studied in Madrid, Spain. So I really feel comfortable in the culture. And so it's where we're going. So this, you know, and other misconceptions of why it's so critical to have representation and to acknowledge Hispanics and Hispanics, you know, this month, the, uh, last month. Because what I love about the Hispanic culture, when you're trying to understand the language and the culture, unlike some others, because I've traveled the world, they're not as receptive to helping you understand their language and culture. But I love that about the Spanish culture. They, they really do. One of my colleagues I work with, she calls herself a Japino because she's a mixture of uh, Puerto Rican and Japanese and, and fully immersed in both cultures. So that's just where we are today. You know, and the multimedia is a way of, you know, offering representation to those, you know, who, who don't get to, to be, to be exposed to, to what we have. But I, I call, you know, this Hispanic heritage moment, this diversity moment is to really lean into understanding differences because the National Hispanic Heritage Month, I just want to step back and just, you know, here we are again, you know, celebrating another cultural moment. You know, it, it was to recognize the contribution of influential Hispanic Americans throughout history, culture, and achievements of the United States. So we want to be able, right, to celebrate what's happening. Do you, when you think about the countries described as Hispanic today, that's part of the United States, you know, you have the Caribbean islands, you have Puerto Rico, um, you, you know, and then you have those that are right there in our in our sphere that, you know, we're close to Florida. I mean, you look at, they call it Little Miami. You know, you look at certain parts of the United States, California, where we have heavy populations, Texas, of um, where Hispanics culture and influence is. You know, we want, want to make sure that we welcoming. I think about Mexico, our borders, right? Right there, I mean, grew up in California, right there, the borders where, you know, you, you could just walk across the street and be in the other country. So we, we should be opening, open to them. And then you think about the world, you think about folks that are immigrants that are coming over from Ecuador, you know, Ecuador, um, Ecuadorio, you know, Guinea, El Salvador, you know, Honduras, Nicaragua, Panama, Federal, coming here for a better life, right, in Venezuela. That's something I think, you know, we should try to understand and learn where we can have a more humane acceptance in what we want to do there. Um, in this population. So real quickly, just shifting over to, you know, what we see as opportunities um, with the Hispanic population. I mean, definitely the fastest growing uh, population in the workforce. Yet we still, though, uh, they are still the largest group that are graduating first generations from college. So a lot of growth and development. And so, you know, we, we need to, organizations need to be ready for this dynamic growth and population that's going to come. And that's here already. You know, I just shared with you, 23% of the growth in the U.S. Census was Hispanic population. And 78% of Hispanics will account for the new net workforce in, over the next 10 years. So we need to be ready for that. And, and what does that mean for our children in creating, you know, an opportunity to have open expression and feel like they want to learn more, to know that this is um, a great thing to be able 
um, to see this. But the reality is uh, corporate America and large organizations have a long way to go in advancing the talent. Uh, the Hispanic talent. There are organizations that are set there and really trying to make a difference, but I tell you, it's slow. And the urgency is now, where we really need to wrap ourselves around what's happening in primary and secondary education and ensure that we're able to really serve up, if you will, a more of a global platform of expansion and learning to provide the true opportunities of equality that we're talking so much about and doing very little for. So I, you know, ask the question for folks, you know, how has Hispanic heritage or any folks that you know that have of Hispanic heritage that have impacted your life? or maybe someone that you didn't pay attention to. So maybe now you will pay attention to. And ask more insights about, you know, what's unique about your food, your culture, um, and, and, and how you support each other, how you um, raise your children. What are some of the principles of life that you value? And, you know, because it is a, that's really going to be the fabric of where that, that is the fabric of where we are. And and we need to get on some of the you know, I'm not going to go political and say it's real liberal, but we have to get on some of these initiatives and write to our Congress people about immigration laws, about what's fairness and about what we're going to tolerate, because this is um, where the United States, I feel, can really move and make a difference in terms of really, with our population, explosion of inclusion. How do we truly, what does that truly look like for us in our home and as we're educating others? So I am going to get off my soapbox here and please send in any comments, diversitymagazine.com, to share you know, where you feel leaning into difference helps you and when knowing um, and learning about a different culture when you're feeling uncomfortable what you need to do to lean in um, and I just say hey it's just like being somebody else new just wanting to explore and engage that that's what I say I think it's a beautiful thing when we all can um, grow together so with that diversity moment in giving you some insights on um, Hispanic heritage and its meaning and how important it is to our communities and, and us for uh, really creating spaces for inclusion and belonging. Um, while we go to commercial break, you know, write down, you know, how many folks in your sphere are, are from this ethnic group. And then if they're not, when you see them, let's be intentional about making sure we welcome the differences. All right, I'll be right back with you guys. I'm Pam McElvain, your host with The Inclusive Voice. Please stay tuned. Go grab and warm up that coffee. See you soon. The world is embracing a remote, globalized, and diverse workforce. Is your organization prepared when it comes to understanding all the nuances of diversity? Diversity MBA can help. From an industry-leading journal and web publication highlighting professionals and best practices to boot camps and conferences featuring noted and accomplished speakers, Diversity MBA is a driving force in diversity, equity, and inclusion education. Check out diversitymbamagazine.com and take the first step towards transforming your organization. Welcome back. I'm Pam McElvain, your host from The Inclusive Voice. Hey, by the way, for diversity moments, you know that we've always had um, Mind Your Money and Your Bold Goals. Well, we're going to have both of those experts provide us some insights today in diversity moments. I think this is a good time to have both of them share with us. So, you know, we had an opportunity in diversity moments to talk a little bit about, you know, recognizing and appreciating person with disabilities and now also celebrating our Hispanic heritage. But you know what's really kind of deep for me, and I, I'm just really excited about, you know, the International Day of um, Indigenous People, is kind of the evolution of what's happened with that. We have, um, you know, we have where Christopher Columbus, Columbus Day, right, was something we celebrated forever as our national holiday as an independence in terms of what was happening um, here in, in uh, America. And, you know, those of us 
you know, particularly of Indian descent um, and African-American, uh, truly, you know, did not recognize Columbus Day as a holiday that we could appreciate because, you know, they, they did not discover, Columbus did not discover um, America, right? Our Native American, our, our Aztec, Aztecian ancestors were here. But to make things right and to really begin to, to shift things and, and put things in the perspective, I love the the work again that Biden administration is doing to try to uplift and and recognize the different cultures. So President Biden, you know, he appointed Deb Haaland as Secretary of the Interior, the first Native American to serve as a cabinet secretary. And this is major step. This is a major step the president has made to increase representation and appreciation for our indigenous peoples. So even when you think about um, Thanksgiving, um, and you know the 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 actual meaning and where not just from a biblical and religious perspective, but you know, but where our Native Americans were giving thanks um, to the history of the land that they lived on. So here we are able to celebrate you know Native artistry, um, which we are looking at you know providing you know sovereign education around if we don't get to set the record straight we at least get to add to the record and people can know you know gain what they want to know and i'm just thinking about I've got a little a tip here for chicago you know that like the chicago area which is where i'm based is on ancestral lands of indigenous tribes you know, such as the Council of the Three Fires uh, combined, you know, comprised of the Ojibwa, the Odawa, and the, the Potomowotomi nations. Aha, I probably killed those names, as well as Miami and Ho-Chunk. So quite a few nations, you know, here in Illinois, when I'm driving up the expressway, you know, I can see the, you know, going north, see all the Indian inheritance and influence. But, you know, you see the Indian influence too, you know, in Texaco, in Texas, New Mexico, California, um, you know, Midwest, Wisconsin, it's all over when you, as you drive through our country to, to really be able to see the, the inheritance there, the heritage there. So why, you know, why can't we, you know, why do we have to wait so long? Why can't we teach this in the schools? Well, I'll tell you um, last year, I think it was in 2019 actually, 2019 updated census um, expanded the population uh, region change Native American to American Indian. Now recognizing, you know, that our tribal population are American Indians and not just, you know, a different name of Native American. Also, you know, the Hawaiian population included, I actually identified the Hawaiian ethnicity. Um, this was just huge, you know, it takes the, the U.S. a while to catch up with the population changes, but isn't that incredible to know that they actually are doing such that. So when you think about, um, I just wanna just talk a few more minutes about this before before we shift over. When you uh, think about you know what the United Nations are supposed to represent, do you know in the world there's 476 million indigenous people across 90 companies, I mean 90 countries. So indigenous people actually make up 500 cultures. In the U.S., it includes American Indians and Alaska Natives. They make up about 5% of the global population and 15% of the world's poorest people. So of the 7,000 languages spoken in the world, the majority are spoken by indigenous peoples. Isn't that amazing? So when we think about the culture that indigenous people bring, you know, and then their economic and social and political plights and practices and characteristics that are not, you know, included and integrated into dominant society. You know, we are not and should no longer in today's world be a place of exclusion. And yes, we still are. We still do exclude. But now corporate America even, they call it the BIPOC, the Black Indigenous People of um, 
of color have now said we, you know, and they've spanned it to multicultural, said, you know, we need to now step up. It's our social responsibility to do to be better and do better. And and I'm glad to see that. Now it's a slow movement in the workforce, but nonetheless it's movement. And and for me, you know, that's huge. Um, and, and because you think about the 86% of indigenous people globally who, you know, contribute to the economy informally compared, you know, to 66% of the non-indigenous of their counterparts. So when you're thinking about economic contribution, as everyone does, this population is not excluded. They still have the same human right the human needs the humanity needs that's important so why not treat fair they're the they're the smallest group in the workplace i mean less than one and a half percent um some companies don't even you know track them at the level that they should um and be, and they are a small population because if you're looking at just the pure um identification of the group you know it is small coming from the tribal lands but i think infrastructure companies that are serious about building pipelines and supporting um, cultures that are not represented they're investing in the infrastructure and to make a difference and the communities you know, they've always been there but now expanding our communities where we can more so right appreciate and share um the, the richness of, of what's offered in the um, from the indigenous populations. So when you think about it, one, one kind of question you can ask yourself, you know, do you know whose ancestral lands you live on? And if so, and if not, you know, why, what a good thing to kind of find out and, you know, and see, <laughs> and see what that is um, and be able to, you know, bring forward some more heritage to your family and you never know i'll tell you about the european culture you never know where you have some of that so we think of you know our diversity moments of having a way to expand our, our knowledge and what we're doing and what we have to offer so um then the you know the next diversity moment because you know we're wrapping up and we will i just want to kind of lean into this before we you know come back but I want to just share with you, when you think about what we the basis of what we're thinking is being authentic, adaptive, and performing. You know, really everyone is talking about, hey, bring your true authentic self that you are at home to work, you know, with the parameters of being respectful, right? But come on and be honest and bring open open expression. So that's that's where we're trying to lean into <laughs> and and really appreciate what that is. And instead of trying to have someone fit into your your space, why not let's adapt? How do how do we move to adapt both our behavior and help someone that's being exposed to what we do, you know, kind of adapt their behavior so that, you know, together we're growing and having healthy tension that's allowing us to um to come together. So, you know, I, I'm going to take a few moments. We're going to take a break, you guys, and then I'm going to come back and wrap up our last diversity moment with, um, with celebrating awareness of coming out. So stay tuned with me as we, you know, do our last segment on diversity moment. I'm your host, Pam McElvain, I'm the Inclusive Voice. From an industry-leading journal and web publication highlighting professionals and best practices to boot camps and conferences featuring noted and accomplished speakers, Diversity MBA is a driving force in diversity, equity, and inclusion education. But Diversity MBA's education push extends beyond the public realm and into the private sector. Thanks to DMBA, enterprises embarking on their DEI journey have access to training webinars, leadership indexes, and more, all of which can help educate and transform a workforce. Embrace DEI. Diversity MBA can help. Visit www.diversitymbamagazine.com for more information. 
Hey, welcome back. I'm Pam McElvain, your host, and wrapping up this conversation on the diversity moments. Oh, I'm really loving this. I'm kind of feeling, learning all these different cultural things that's happening so, you know, so close together. And this happens all year. That's what's great about America. So we talked about a person with disabilities, Hispanic heritage, the indigenous population. And what's really great is the President Biden has leaned into making sure that he creates sustainability by appointing national, um, making national agendas with accountability. And that's having people drive these initiatives. And so where you believe something's not right and need to change, that's your opportunity, right, to, to be able to change and request your policy to do something different. So this is a new thing for me. I just learned like about National Coming Out Day. That was um, celebrated in October the 11th. And actually it wasn't that long ago that this was put in place. 1988, it was there to commemorate the National March on Washington for, le for lesbian and gay rights. And you know, what a momentous occasion for the LGBTQIA plus non-binary community to be able to say, hey, here's another time someone that's been covering and haven't felt safe space to come out, to be able to now come out with a group of folks that are celebrating their own identity and who they are. And who are we to hold our micro, our biases and microaggressions against a community that says, this is who I am. This is who I identify as. So when you think of the notion of allyship and being able to help create a place where people feel okay to be authentic, hey, let's do it. And what we need to adapt to is being respectful. And it's okay to be curious as long as we're not passing judgment, right? So we're going to be curious to ask questions for understanding, for education, so that we know more, so that we can support people that um, we don't know a lot about. So it's okay to be curious about person with disabilities. It's okay to be curious about, hey, what's your heritage? What's your background? I want to learn more. And truly, it's okay to be curious about, you know, indigenous populations in, in multiple wells, uh, ways in terms of how we can help and share. Um, you know, that's, that's important. Curiosity is healthy. And so when we're thinking about, you know, what's respectful communication. One of the, the initiatives that we've been working on, and we also worked with companies too, um, when trying to understand you know, how to appreciate the LGBTQ um, IA plus non-binary community, when they introduce the pronouns and people are like, I don't have any pronouns. Well, you know, if you're heterosexual, you do. I am a heterosexual. So I am a she, her, and hers, you know. I am a she and her. That is who I am. It's a feminine pronoun, so however you want to use it, you want to. But we really wanted to say, hey, if you don't want to, that's fine. But what do you do? How do you, you know, approach, you know, someone, you know, that is wanting to use their pronouns? Well, you know, first, you know, you ask. You ask you know, about their gender preference, if, if you hear that's going on, regardless of their physical appearances, so that at first glance, you might be wrong, so just ask, and you respect it. So when you introduce yourself to a new person, if you don't want to include your gender pronoun because you're not sure, but give them the space to be okay to use those. I didn't understand how they was using what that meant, but it's really being all inclusive of their personality, and, I, and that's fine if that's how uh, they want to be referred to. And of course, we have to practice, you know, whenever referring to a person, when talking to someone, we have to be conscious and create the habit and truly practice in um, when we're being inclusive of leveraging the pronouns. Um, on our website, Diversity MBA Magazine, we have a lot of different definitions and available for learning tips um, around being able to, to understand the different ways to under, uh, communicate um, the pronouns, but some of the terms that I think are important to know is, you know, the gender pronouns, gender binary, um, the non-binary gender identity, gender fluid, right, transgender, sexual orientation, asexual, pansexual, right, so gender non-conforming, and so let me just tell you about this, this, all these terms, they are explosive, inclusive, and um, integrative, and it's a continuum. They're, it's always growing, always becoming more, 
And all that I'm asking is just being open so that you can learn and be respectful in the communication and um, in working with in a space where you may not be comfortable. So with that, you guys, that is our diversity moments for this morning that um, we're bringing to you. And I hope once a quarter to bring these diversity moments to you, sharing with you what's happening, you know, throughout our year, this rich culture of our country. And so don't be afraid to ask, don't be afraid to share. Um, and if we're really trying to create a space in a world of inclusion and belonging, let's own our part in it. So with that, we're going to go to commercial break and we'll be right back with you with Mind Your Money and please work on what your bold goal is. I'm your host, Pam McElvain, the Inclusive Voice. Everyone's talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Let Diversity MBA Media bring you up to speed on the discussion. With benchmarking services that help enterprises gauge and expand the diversity of their workforces, to fresh, insightful, deep dive articles on the Diversity MBA website, CEO Pam Mickelvane leverages years of experience and some of the foremost thought leaders on diversity, equity, and inclusion to spread the DEI message and curate content that educates and enlightens. In addition, Diversity MBA Media hosts annual conferences that bring together speakers from all across the DEI spectrum, with thousands of virtual attendees learning industry best practices from a wide range of perspectives. Check out Diversity MBA Media, join the diversity, equity, and inclusion movement, and be a part of the discussion. www.diversitymbamagazine.com Welcome to Bold Life with Ed Kopko, where bold minds grow. Good morning, everybody, and I'm Ed Kopko, and welcome to Bold Life. I'm really happy to be here this morning with you all and to talk about a topic that's near and dear to me, which is how to live a bold life, how to set bold goals, and and live a life that uh, fulfills and brings you much happiness. So before we get started with the show, I'd like to say a big thank you to Pam. Uh, Pam has uh, graciously asked me to participate in not just this show this week, but to be a regular in terms of sharing some of the tips, techniques, and uh, approaches to how so many people who we've all come across in our life who've had tremendous success, uh, uh, what have they done and how have they made something happen for themselves? So uh, we're going to, for this show, I'm going to take a tip, uh, uh, talk about a topic called JOMO, but a lot of the stuff that is, that we're going to be talking about on the show is expanding and building upon the book that I wrote uh, about a year ago called Project Bold Life. And it is a complete system of how people are finding happiness. So before, before we go further into JOMO, I want to talk a little bit about the back, backdrop to what, what created an environment for JOMO. So we're obviously living in a post-COVID world but pre-COVID, we had a very uh, different kind of life. Uh, particularly, many of us lived what is referred to as a FOMO approach to life, which is fear of missing out. We were always thinking about what did we need to do, posting to social media, living life very externally. And all of a sudden, bang, COVID comes and and our whole world is changed. And we are now, instead of living in an external world, we're living inside of our homes, our apartments, and having a very, very different approach to everyday life. And it's from that uh, big change that JOMO was born. So what is JOMO? JOMO is the joy of missing out instead of the fear of missing out. And it started with, as I just mentioned, with the idea that the fact that we're home and that we're not going outside the world so often, we are now creating a different world where we're looking more inward and creating a 
environment for ourselves where we're finding happiness from from much more simple things and maybe in reality much deeper things. So let me let me just share a quick anecdote with you uh, about uh, what has helped spear, spearhead the movement towards JOMO, and I'm going to uh, do this through. Uh, through the prism of my daughter-in-law, who uh, work works uh, in the fashion industry, she runs a successful company, and she has children. And her commute to the office uh, in the greater New York area is about a, an hour and ten minutes one way each day. So that's over two hours and twenty minutes a day that people are spending doing something that is not actually that beneficial to them. It's non-productive time and it really does wear on you. And it, it also is a uh, situation where many times you'll start thinking about what, what can you do differently with your life? How can you find happiness? And JOMO, as a result of um, some of these kinds of uh, uh, changes in circumstances, we've now suddenly found ourselves with a lot more time and we're, we're not only just liking it, but we're, we're figuring out how to use it. According to a recent Bold Business survey, 93% of employees want to work from home in some capacity if they're capable of doing it. Now, that, that poll was done in July, and it indicated that 21% of the companies, uh, only 21% of the companies are requiring employees who, who are not required to be present to uh, come back to the office full time. So this is a huge sea change. And all that extra time that we're finding uh, as a result of uh, this post-COVID world is leading us to some big changes in terms of how we're thinking about life and how we're creating uh, long-term happiness. So um, in my most recent notes uh, from Ed, or one of my most recent notes from Ed, I spent more time on this topic. And if you go to edcopco.com, you will find uh, all of the notes uh, that I have, but I spent some time about uh, talking about JOMO and why we find our happiness ultimately always comes from within. And within this movement of finding that happiness, what we are now seeing is that people are finding uh, that they really like this extra time. They like the depth of thinking that it provides for them, the ability to explore new uh, uh, paths for themselves. And as a result, they're not so, so much on the treadmill of uh, of the FOMO treadmill of fear of missing out on what to do in the outside world and finding inner peace uh, through meditation, more time with their families, et cetera. So, so this week's uh, message, if, uh, if I'm going to leave you with a message, is to consider asking yourself, what, what am I doing and how am I applying the principles of JOMO in my life? And have I shifted seeking my happiness more so from a within versus a without structure? And I hope you enjoyed this uh, segment and have a bold week. For more about Ed and his work, go to www.edcopco.com. Don't let the tight labor market get in the way of your company's success. Open your mind to new ideas and open your enterprise to new workforce solutions. With Bold Business, companies can leverage extensive global assets and a lengthy track record of success in reducing labor costs. Don't let borders get in the way of giving your company the best possible workforce. For remote positions, Bold Business can save clients up to 30 to 50% with skilled and experienced candidates from a global talent pool. Head to boldbusiness.com for more information. Hello, and thank you for listening to Mind Your Money. This is Delaney Michelle Elliott, and you're listening to The Inclusive Voice. 
Well, this is an exciting topic for me because with the noise of upcoming recession on the horizon, I just wanted to give our listeners, Pam, some comfort. I wanted them to look at their asset portfolio and see how we can help them protect it, how you can almost recession-proof your portfolio. And one of the products I do want to talk about today is the fixed index annuity. There's a lot of myths out there. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on in the broadcast. But I do want to let you know what fixed annuities are. Well, let me let me start with by saying what they're not. A fixed index annuity is are not a direct investment in the stock market. Okay. Again, let me say that a fixed index annuities are not a direct investment in the stock market. They are, however, a long-term insurance product with guarantees backed by the issuing company. They provide potential for interest to be credited based in part on the performance of specific indexes without the risk of loss of premium due to market downturns or fluctuation. So that's why I wanted to kind of introduce this particular product as helping you recession-proof your asset portfolio. Although fixed index annuities guarantee no loss of premium due to market downturns, there are fees associated with particular option benefit riders or strategies that could exceed the interest credited for that accumulation value period. So that would in turn result in a loss of premium due to fees associated not equaling or possibly exceeding that particular interest credit. So I'm gonna put that out there as well. Please note that this is not providing legal or tax investment advice. This is a information service for our listeners. So please rely on your own qualified advisor or your tax attorney. So with that said, let's cover a few of the myths that are usually associated with annuities. Number one, all annuities are the same. That's a myth. Although annuities share many common attributes, each annuity type has its own set of rules. In general, an annuity is a contract between you and the insurance company in which you make a lump sum payment or a series of payments and in return, you receive regular income streams at some point in the future. Number two, I can't withdraw funds from my annuity until I'm old. Many annuities give you the option to withdraw a portion of the contract without a penalty. Some annuities may require a waiting period before you can access the full value. You may be subject to fees and penalties for an early withdrawal, but many insurance companies allow you to take up to 10% of the accumulated value per year without fees. Number three, all annuities have high fees. While most annuity types have no maintenance or annual fees, those that do will have varying fees depending on the type of annuity and any additional benefits it may provide. Annuities can offer valuable features that aren't typical with other retirement options like tax deferral, income guarantees, guaranteed minimum values, or even a guaranteed minimum death benefit. Number four, I will lose all my annuity money when I die. If you don't want the insurance company to keep your contract value when you die, you can choose an annuity payout option that allows for that, okay? You have options. Everything that the annuity can and cannot do should be written in your contract. Many people correctly understand that an insurance company will keep the remaining value if they have a life-only payment option within an annuity contract. But life-only is just one of many payout options that you can choose from an annuity contract. Okay? Number five, the fifth myth, is annuities are for, for retirees. 
Annuities can be an excellent tool for accumulation and income no matter what your age. Many young workers are using annuities as a tax-deferred way to save for the future. Of course, no two, no two situations are the same, and it's important to seek tax advice from a qualified tax professional when purchasing an annuity to understand any withdrawal penalties that may apply. And Pam, our sixth myth is annuities are bad for taxes. Interest credit on any annuity will compound on a tax deferred basis until you begin taking out funds. Over time, you may have the potential to build more retirement income than you would have been able to had your earnings been taxed as income. While IRAs and 401ks are also tax deferral, these contributions typically have a yearly cap, where fixed annuities commonly have no IRS contribution limits, okay? Fixed annuities are long-term, tax-deferred product and can be a valuable option if you're looking to grow your wealth for retirement. So those are the six myths that I wanted to just cover very quickly about annuities. Again, we're talking about recession-proofing your asset portfolio. Annuities can act as just one of those strategies among many. So with that said, please contact your qualified professional retirement planning expert. And if you don't have one, I'd love to engage you in conversation. I'm Delana Michelle Elliott, and this is Mind Your Money.